Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? What does it say? It would be a good. (laughs) I didn't even get to idea. Maybe I can just ask you the question. (laughs) It's going well. It's going really well. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. My name's Emma. And I am Jamie. And today we're joined by Elizabeth Lee, whose historical fiction novel, Cunning Women, is out this April. Welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's exciting. Hi. Um, uh, Just to kick off, I guess Cunning Women is a, you know, really it's like a love story um, set after the Pendle Witch Trials. Yeah. Um, Which, like, can you tell us a little bit about the story and, and what inspired you to write it? Yes, um, yes. I mean, as you say, it's um, it's really a love story. It's set in 17th century Lancashire. Um, and it's a love story between Sarah, who's the daughter of the local cunning woman, um, and Daniel, the farmer's son. Um, but yeah. obviously in 17th century Lancashire, uh, being the daughter of the local cunning woman was a fairly precarious position to be in. Um, yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of sort of um, superstition and suspicion surrounding the family. So um, a lot of it is about um, Sarah trying to protect herself and her family and this sort of burgeoning relationship that she's got and kind of hope for a better future um, from that kind of suspicion from the local community. Um, Mm. And actually, I was inspired to write it after I watched a documentary about the Pendle Witch Trials, um, uh, because the family who were involved, I mean, it's obviously it's a terrible, tragic story, really. Um, But the I was just quite fascinated and horrified by the position of the family that were involved because they they were desperately poor and they were outcast really and sort of looked down upon by the local community Uh, but they were also terribly feared because they were thought to have this um, dark power and I just kept thinking about what it would be like to have that conflict at the heart of your life where you were incredibly vulnerable but also incredibly powerful at the same time Um, and I suppose that was um, what gave me the character of Sarah, really. And then that that was um, my way into the story. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of research that goes, obviously, into you writing this story. How did you go about approaching the research element? Um, Well, I think for me, because I... (laughs) Uh, I'm more of a pantser than a planner when it comes to um, writing. <laughs> so, you know, I, and I have a tendency. <laughs> oh, good to see. Yes, it keeps it fresh, doesn't it? That's the thing. Exactly. Uh, yes, keep telling yourself that. It's good for you, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jenny. <laughs> yeah, smug. I know, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so for me, it was, I sort of, 
watched the documentary, got the idea, got really excited and sort of jumped in and started writing. And then I kept having to stop and do research because Mm. um, I would bump up against things that I just didn't know. I remember spending like I lost days trying to work out what they would wear on their feet. Um, (laughs) And and you can, I got obsessed with it. It's very easy to find out, you know, what kings and queens wore on their feet in the 17th century. It's not so easy to find out what um, farm labourers and housemaids wore on their feet in 17th century Mm. Lancashire. Um, You know, was it boots? Was it shoes? Was it laces? Was it buckles? Was it buttons? Uh, All for, you know, a sentence in the book. But um, so it was a case of sort of doing some reading around and um you know uh, just trying to find out certain things that um I specifically needed as well um but the research is also good because it kind of feeds your story in a way because then you like you know more about what life would have been like for those characters and you know how how living at that time would have affected them and so um it kind of adds a sort of richness to to it as you're writing as well so mm. it's um you know I it's imagine fun, really. that you there's a certain yeah. energy to that as well when you write to a you write to a point where you're where you suddenly say oh I need to look that up. And then there's a kind of excitement in oh, learning about this new thing. Mm. And then did you find that when you look one thing up, you see another thing and you go, oh, I could use that. And you put that in. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, um, it can be a bit of a rabbit hole, can't it really? Yeah. You sort yeah. of, you know, you start looking at one thing and then you end up um, sort of the three days later. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Emerging with a whole different story after you've um, done a bit more of your research. So, yes, it's good. Um, It is good. Although, um, I think, you know, in the future, I'll probably try and do the bulk of the research before I start writing the book instead of um, (laughs) kind of doing it alongside, which is what I did with Cunning Women. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And did you always want to write historical fiction? Is that a genre that's always. been kind of where your heart is with writing I mean to be honest not really this is actually um this is the first novel that I've had published but it's the third one that I've written um the first one was a sort of um futuristic um uh, science fiction love story um the second one was set in uh, yes (laughs) um (laughs) the second one was set in the 1980s which you know to some people might feel like historical fiction but to me it feels like it just happened so that's um, (laughs) you know I didn't really consider it to be historical fiction so it really was just this this idea of the Pendle witches and um you know that was so fascinating um that sort of got me into writing historical fiction although I have always read quite a lot of historical fiction um but now I think I would probably stick to it because I just found it I don't know there's oddly a kind of freedom to writing something that's set at a different time and you know writing dialogue where people spoke a bit differently and you know um also there's a great freedom in not having mobile phones which I think are terrible <laughs> for spoiling your plot aren't they yes. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah you've got to find a workaround for the mobile phone it's like oh, why didn't they just call someone <laughs> exactly <laughs> yes. oh no my battery's dead I still can't get over that. I used to top my phone up, like you know, like go to the store yeah. and just be like, "Can I have ten pounds yeah. on my ten phone, pounds please? of credit?" Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> the good old so, days. Yeah. It was a weird time, but <laughs> yeah, um, oh, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and how long have you been writing for? I know you said that you've wrote a couple of books before. <clears throat> so how long in whole do you feel like you've had this, you know, passion for for getting stories on the page? Oh gosh, I mean, um, I suppose I started going to my writers group about well, probably. 16, 17 years ago. Um, and then it's probably the last decade, I would say, that I've been kind of seriously sort of writing novels and submitting, um, mm. doing courses, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah. I did, um, I found my <laughs> my diary from when I was 15 recently, which was oh. hilarious and hideous in equal measure. <laughs> but, okay. um, uh, you know, in amongst kind of talking about um, how I'd painted my fingernails different colours and they looked dead good. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> and the Pet Shop Boys having a new album out. Um, I oh. had been sort of um, fantasising about dedicating my, who I was going to, which actually, which English teachers I was going to dedicate my novel to if I ever got oh. a novel published. So, Did you I dedicate it, them to any? Did you dedicate no. it to any? <laughs> I can't even remember their names. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, maybe next time. Maybe next, uh, <laughs> maybe next time. But, um, yeah, so I think, you know, it was always a dream, but I don't think it was something that I really, um, you know, actually was taking seriously and spending time doing um, up until the last sort of decade or so, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, I guess bringing it back to obviously like where it began, you you were awarded the Marion Key Scholarship, which is a Curtis Brown initiative. Is that right? Um, and yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, how how did that work for you? And can you talk us through that process? Yes. Um, and again, you know, oh, gosh, I was just so incredibly lucky, really. Um, Curtis Brown Creative run um, writing courses and, um, you know, some, well, I'm imagining all of them are online at the moment, but generally some yeah. of them are online, some of them are in person um, in London. Um, and um, I, I, quite regularly, they um, offer a scholarship place onto one of these courses and I um, had actually applied a, a couple of times before um, oh, okay. and I applied once um, and didn't get anywhere then I applied again and um, reached the shortlist um, and then I applied again and it was it just happened to be that um, Marion Keys had very generously sponsored this particular um, scholarship place and I was actually awarded it and oh my goodness I mean it oh, was wow, just Oh, it, yes, it really was absolutely fantastic. And I, I love doing courses. I mean, I would do writing courses for the rest of my life if I could. Um, and I had, um, we had this amazing tutor, Lisa O'Donnell, who was um, just really fantastic and inspiring and sort of also, you know, didn't pull her punches when it came to feedback and um, was yeah, just... important. Yeah, yeah, it is because, you, you know, you just you have to learn, don't you? Yeah. Um, and I met some amazing writers I mean virtually because I was doing it online but met some amazing writers on that course and I love everything about it I love the fact that you're getting feedback from a tutor you're getting feedback from your peers you get to give feedback because I think you actually learn a lot from reading other people's work and then kind of trying to analyze what works and what could you know possibly be improved and I think that sort of feeds your own writing 
um, in a way. So, um, yes, I just um, I felt hugely privileged to um, have that opportunity. And I loved every second of doing that course. And I would highly recommend <laughs> um, Curtis Brown Creative Courses to anybody. Well, they, it sounds great. And th- those kinds of opportunities, those th- there are these kinds of scholarships available. Obviously, they're very competitive. Yeah. But um, mm. just uh, for listeners, anyone thinking about submitting to these kinds of things, what was required in your kind of submission package for that scholarship and the, the Curtis Brown course itself? Um, I think it was an extract of work. And I I, I don't quote me, but I think it was 3,000 words. Um, okay. um, and um, then I think you had to do a personal statement about, um, you know, why you needed the scholarship. Um, um, to be honest, it was a couple of years ago now. I can't really remember that well. <laughs> um, okay. But, but it's not um, dissimilar to agent submissions. It's sort of like a miniature, a miniaturized yes. version, a bit more yes. personal about yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, one of the things that they do on the course is they they help you put together your agent submission as well. So, you you know, you do a 500 word synopsis, which, you know, I don't know how you feel about writing synopses, but um, I find it quite painful. (laughs) A lot of people Um, say that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, That's invaluable as a resource to get industry mm. professionals to help you with your submission letter, because a lot of the time people write a book and then think, uh, and this is, I mean, this is personal experience. This is how I approach it. I wrote a book and then I thought, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. And then, yeah, and then definitely. I went online and you have to learn this entire kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. rigmarole, yeah. these techniques of how you're supposed to like apply to different agents and then do all this research. It almost becomes a full-time occupation, just learning how to submit to yeah. agents and research yeah. those agents. So. Yeah, it's a whole skill in itself, isn't it? I think really. Yeah. I know, because yeah. you yeah, feel like once you've wrote the book, surely like that's the mm. hard bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, then and then you have to you do the synopsis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start to realise that oh. that's not the hard bit it's sort of the rest of it really isn't it yeah um, yeah which is you know I mean um obviously quickly after the back of that you mm. you signed with an agent um and was that something that happened through the six-month writing course or was it more obviously the traditional query in and back and forth sort of and uh, I mean I I had done um the traditional querying back and forth with with this book um and I um was that before the course that was before the course yes and I um you know and I, I sort of knew that um it had something because not quite everybody I sent it to, but almost everybody I sent it to asked to see the full manuscript. So by the time, yeah, yeah. So by the time um, uh, it got to, um, I got to the end of the Curtis Brown course, 12 agents had read the full manuscript, 12 agents had rejected the full manuscript. Um, (laughs) And they had mostly said things like, Oh, I really admire it. I just don't quite love it enough. Um, But a few of them had said, oh, but, you know, let me see your next one if, um, you know, you don't find representation this time. So I had kind of given up on this book, really. And I was thinking, well, I'll just, you know, I'll send them the next one when it's done. Um, but when you finish the Curtis Brown course, because you put together your first three chapters, your um, submission letter and your synopsis, um, then they circulate that around the um the agents um and i was they actually do that for you on, yes so that's yeah. almost like a priority channel that's good. yeah anyway, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes it's very good. it mm. is yes it is a really good thing that they do um 
And um, because um, I was actually working on a different novel um, on the Curtis Brown course because Cunning Women was basically finished. Um, and so I just contacted them and said, oh, if anybody is interested, can you just let them know that I have this novel that's complete? Um, and they just said to me, well, let's just send that to one of the agents. How about Lucy Morris? And I didn't know anything about Lucy Morris, but um, they, you know, it, it crossed her desk and she just, you know, she was the agent that that did love it enough. Um, and mm. honestly, when you find that agent, it's really worth, I'm so glad that the agents who didn't love it enough said so and rejected it because when you find the agent who really does love your work and sort of is on the same page as you are about what you want to do with it, I mean, it's that's yeah. a really fantastic experience and honestly, it's worth the wait. So, yeah. um, you know, I, and I just think going through those rejections is is really difficult sometimes and you can get very despondent about it can't you but um mm. I think it's worth trying to bear in mind that it's not it's not really it's not that your work is bad it's just that that agent is not the right fit for it and if you, if you carry on then you probably will find the agent who is the right fit for it you know um yeah, yeah. so true yeah it only takes one in the end yes and you want to make sure it's the right one yeah because you don't want to We've we've had we've spoken to people who have had several agents, mm, uh, right? Yeah, and it, and it's like it doesn't you know it's not a reflection on the author, the writing, or the agent if if they decide that actually this isn't working. Yeah, you know, exactly. Sometimes yeah. it takes yeah. one one you know a couple of attempts before you mm. get it right. So yeah. you want to don't yeah I think that's really good advice is to not take rejections as this means the book was bad. It just yeah. means this agent wasn't the right fit for you. I mean, we've even spoke to agents that have said that as well, haven't we? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, they've definitely. just been like, look, sometimes the, but the story's just not for us. So it's just like, yeah. it's not, yeah. it's not the right fit. But I know that obviously you're, um, you know, it's quite a special relationship um, with author mm. and an agent as well. And and especially when you're handing over your your piece of work that you've worked on for a long time, how did you find sort of after the aftermath of getting, you know, that agent that you really wanted and then, you know, the, the process yeah. after that and, um, you know, the editing process? Uh, again, I think because I was so lucky with, with the agent that I, that I got, um, uh, you know, all of that was just... Oh, I mean, I'm a writer who likes the edits anyway. I, I hate writing the first draft, but I really like doing the edits. Um, and I, and again, you know, I like doing courses where people are sort of giving me feedback. So I quite liked having my agent giving me feedback. And and because she had the same sort of vision for the book um, that I did, all of her feedback really chimed with me. There was nothing that jarred, you know, um, so I could see that everything that she was saying um, were it kind of was almost making it a, a stronger version of my own book. You know, it didn't feel like it, it anything that wasn't part of the book already. Um, so, I mean, I actually quite enjoyed all of that. And I, and I really enjoyed doing the edits for my editor as well. And to be honest, I was kind of almost the most happy when the only people who'd read it were me and my editor and my agent. And <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> And then it went out into the world and I was like, oh, my God, now people are going to read it. <laughs> yeah. I kind of forgotten about that bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's been quite daunting, I guess. It's just like, oh, my story's out now. What do I yeah. do now? Another one. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. How did you find, like, speaking of, like, obviously getting other people 
to read your book and you know um how did you find juggling um writing with having you know like a family and 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 like having your own time as well um you know where how do you find that process do you do you get time to sit down is it hard like what is your process there yeah I mean um I'm quite lucky at the moment because at the moment I'm um basically writing full-time so obviously that's um a lot Mm. easier um and also my children are yeah yeah my children are um older as well so um you you know (laughs) actually the first lockdown um for us was quite lovely because my my daughter was back from uni and my um son is in year 11 and um they he they had online lessons and they're very independent so they sort of you know we all spent the morning working I was working on a first draft of something so we all spent the morning working and then we had lunch together and then we do a bit more work and then we go out for a walk you know so I really felt sorry for these people who were sort of (laughs) trying to (laughs) trying to work from home and juggle um homeschooling young children and oh yeah um, oh gosh that must have been so hard yeah um but um when I when I was writing Cunning Women I was um you know not really in that position where um you know both of the children were at home and I was working two jobs trying to make ends meet and I'm two jobs (laughs) yeah um and um you know so um it was just a case of sort of fitting it in um as often as I could I mean I I sort of try to give myself a a daily word count but it's quite a small daily word count because I really (laughs) I'm not a fan of the first draft um so (laughs) (laughs) um, I I let myself off the hook as soon as I can when I'm writing a first draft um but I did sort of make time to just sit down at you know usually while I was burning the kids dinner to be honest I would um (laughs) sit down at my kitchen table and kind of squeeze out a few words um and you know like eventually if you do that often enough you get a book at the end of it so um it's it's worth it I think it's important not to set too big because people like to set a word count every Mm. day to Mm. do I've got to write this much you've got I think it's important not to set yourself too 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 massive a task as long as you are writing something if you are you know making one step in the direction of of your goal every day Mm. then I think that you know that's the healthy thing to do that's a great way of approaching it and you when you're working two jobs uh and and like uh dealing with your burnt food for your kids (laughs) uh, you know you I get everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, genuinely. That's yeah. because you're creative, you see, that's why. <laughs> Your mind is elsewhere. Just... <laughs> oh dear, honestly. I mean, it's just mad. I've been like, selling some brownies during lockdown. It's just burnt brownies, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lovely people. Shut the top off, they'll be fine. <laughs> Hopefully. But honestly, I think it takes a lot of dedication and focus to have um like you said like sort of you know that those few sentences um mm, and those few bits yeah. of paragraphs a night and doing that that's still a, you have to build that up over time and it takes a lot of focus to be able to do that um mm. it's not something that I guess well I, I certainly wouldn't find it you know easy to do so I think that's mm. um that's incredible are you working any on anything new at the moment then Elizabeth yeah well I um 
um, I say I had started um, a second novel when I was on the Curtis Brown um, course um, and then I sort of stopped working on that because I was doing edits on Cunning Women. I've now, I, I have finished that one and it, it's with my agent at the moment, but, um, you know, I haven't, um, I'm waiting for her feedback and I don't, I, you know, I know, um, <laughs> I do know other writers whose agents or publishers have rejected their sort of second books and third books. So um, yeah. I'm just waiting to hear, I don't, I've got no idea what's going to happen with that, but um, I have got another idea sort of brewing as well so um you know I'll just uh crack on with that I think in in a little while when I'm is it historical fiction again this yes yeah it is yeah can you let us in on on what the the era is or the event the period it's it's, um uh, it's uh well the one that's finished is um set in a Victorian freak show Oh, so it's quite different. Yeah, it's quite different. Yeah, yeah. you really do pick the the, the intriguing uh, little microcosms <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, there's quite a lot to you know mine, I suppose, with that kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. More research to do. More research. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Did you research at all before this? Yes, time? yeah, almost all of it. And then there were a few things that again I bumped up against, and I sort of wrote my <laughs> wrote wrote all of these notes in like blue capital letters in the first draft check this and research that <laughs> uh, but yes yes I was a bit more organized oh yeah well that's good I mean you know at least it's, you live you learn don't you Elizabeth in life <laughs> exactly um, exactly hopefully I won't burn brownies in the future after this conversation but you never know <laughs> fingers <say>. crossed <laughs> yeah. fingers, fingers crossed um yeah, circling back a little bit um I was just wondering what yeah. is there anything that you've found really difficult about the writing process um uh, like overall basically from either just sitting down and writing or you know um, mm. getting an agent or editing anything about yeah, it yeah um I think um I mean other than um I say uh, I find the, the first draft I do find difficult and it's because I mean I I, I sort of uh, the first kind of 10 15,000 words I'm in a kind of honeymoon period I suppose where you know I think it's a wonderful idea and everything's going to work out really well and I really love it and then oh, I yeah. start to question everything about it basically <laughs> until I get to the end um and so it really is just a case of pushing through and thinking oh well I can fix it later um but you know it's that sort of doubt and I, I know when I was writing um Cunning Women um there was this um a particular chapter that I just couldn't get right and I you know I I got so frustrated with it and um I stopped writing for a while because I lost all confidence in the book and in myself and then eventually I just kind of carried on and when I came to the edit that chapter didn't need to be there at all I just <laughs> cut the yeah. whole thing yeah, yeah. Um, so you know um I think some of it is just having that confidence to just keep going until the end and then once you have a first draft it doesn't matter how messy it is you could at least you have something to work with and really, every time you edit, all you're doing is making it better. So, you know, I think for me, that's why the edits feel better. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing that is just, it, it is, I think it's a challenging process if you're going to submit to agents. And, you know, I mean, yeah. there might be people who submit to agents and then get an agent straight away. But um, I was not one of those people. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I do think that can sort of knock your confidence a bit if, um, when you're getting rejections, I think especially if you feel like you're getting fairly close, but yeah. not quite there. Um, but, uh, you know, it, again, it's just that thing of sort of trying to be resilient. And and as we were saying before, sort of just be aware that it's 
it's not a reflection on the work necessarily. It's just that that agent doesn't have that connection with the story. When you find the agent who does have that connection with the story, then it's it's really worth it. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us on, maybe, quite possibly, to um, the last question, Jamie, if you'd like to ask it. I would <laughs> or love unless you've got anything to ask. Before that. <laughs> um, it's an exciting question, so, you know. Um... It is. The final question yes. is, if you were stranded, marooned <clears throat> on a desert island, all yes. by yourself, with nothing but a single book, The voice, Jamie, take? the voice. <laughs> It's getting more epic every time. I actually I feel like I'm on Desert Island Discs. I know, <laughs> <laughs> We just wish it was Desert Island Discs, really. really yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> yes, yeah, so which which novel? Which novel? Yeah. Which novel? Um, well, you know, actually, for me, this is a really easy question to answer because um, oh. my partner is also a writer, um, oh. and his name is Peter Haynes. And his novel is called The Willow by Your Side. Um, And, you know, it's just it's so beautifully written and it is so strongly in his voice that, you know, I would take that because then it would be like having a piece of him there with me. That's so lovely. Really <laughs> you might be like feeling genuinely. a little bit queasy. But... No, <laughs> no I'm that's lovely. Emotional. Right. Same. I feel like that's a really lovely answer. I think it's a nice answer we've had so far. Oh, we've had oh, some. Thank you. Yeah, we've never had such a romantic answer. I feel. Yeah. Which is no, people usually try and cheat the system. That's yeah, the, that's the usual oh, answer. Well, there you go. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, oh well, thank you for having oh, me. Up. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Oh, it's been um, oh, it's been really good fun. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. And um, you know, best of luck with writing in in the future yes. and stuff as well. Oh. And we'll hope uh, to you know visit the people that we're interviewing at some point. Yeah, and, one you know, day, one <laughs> day, see face. them, meet them face to face. You know, well, that would be amazing. Hopefully, by then, I'll have been able to have a haircut as well. <laughs> Oh. Don't be all, literally. That'd be a treat. Uh, exactly. Jamie looks uh, like a Yeti, don't you, Jamie? He is. I do. A very stylish Yeti. <laughs> a very stylish Yeti. Um, brilliant. To keep up with everything that Elizabeth is doing, you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at EKLeeWriter. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK uh, or follow us on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you in the next episode.